Well, as we carry on through Ephesians 4, we bear in mind again that this half of the letter is an outworking of the theology given in the first three chapters. It is intended to be the practical application, as it were, of the foundation that Paul laid in chapters 1 through 3. There is a theme running all the way through this letter of unity. It is a particular concern of Paul's as he writes to the church in Ephesus. Not least because, as we've thought about before, this church would have been a congregation made up of both Jews and Gentiles believing upon the Lord Jesus for salvation, previously having had really nothing to do with each other, they now find themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, trying to figure out how to do life with one another. And so as you read through Ephesians, a letter that is centered so much on the doctrines of the church, Paul keeps coming back to this idea of unity. He gave us a robust theology of unity in chapters 2 and 3, and as we are in the first half of chapter 4, I trust that you've seen he continues reiterating the premise that we are to be a unified people, and he starts to explain how we can achieve the unity that God so desires. We saw how we have a bond of peace between us. Insomuch as we have trusted in Christ for salvation, there is then a bond of peace between every believer. As we prize open that bond of peace, we see the inner workings is the ministry of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to be mindful of that blessing. We've seen also how Christ gives to the church gifts. He gives each of us gifts in different measure, and that is not to be a point of division. May our different gifts given in different measure never be a point of division amongst us. Properly considered, the gifts that Christ has given to his saints should be another means by which we are yet more unified. Last week, We consider just a few of the many gifts that Christ gives to the church, gifts that focus on a ministry of the word. Verse 11, Paul says, God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. The point of commonality amongst all of these roles is the ministry of the word. And he drew attention to that so as to show us the roadmap, as it were, for the building up of the church. God's plan for every local church is that there ought to be central to its efforts, central to its times of gathering together, there ought to be a ministry of the word. It is always the word that does the work. And as the saints are faithful to minister the word, they are then equipped. As the saints sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word, they are equipped for the work of the ministry. It is not 
the elders, the pastor that does the work of the ministry, the word of God teaches us that is what the saints are to do. The preaching of the word equips them for the work of the ministry. That is to say, not that the preaching of the word gives to them gifts. They have those. Christ has given gifts to men. But the preaching of the word activates the members of the church. It prompts them into using their gifts. As they have received gifts from Christ, the ministry of the word then motivates them, prompts them to use them for the common benefit of the body with the result of the body of Christ being built up, being strengthened, being unified. That has certain implications. In any local church, the ministry of the word ought to be central. In any local church, it is the ministry of the word that does the work, and therefore it ought to always be the utmost priority. Equally, the priority of its members ought to be to get under that ministry. There are many good things that happen through a healthy local church. Your priority is to get under the ministry of the word. And if we're following the roadmap that God has laid out and the word is indeed doing its work, every single member of a healthy local church should be able to answer the question, how then are you serving? It should always be the case that you, as a member of this church, have an answer to the question, how do you serve the body? It's a natural outworking of the ministry of the Word. As the Word has been preached and taught consistently and faithfully in this church, as you have gotten under that ministry, as God has been gracious to allow the Word to sink into your hearts and to prompt changes in the way that you live, a response to the Word preached, you then serve the body. How then are you serving the church? And as we all are faithful to adhere to this roadmap, God builds a mature body of believers. This week, Paul continues with the theme of the word, the ministry of the word, showing us yet further how it brings about that unity. He gives us even more detail than he has already as to how the ministry of the word brings about unity, showing us very simply that without the word, there is no stability. But with the word, we will all grow up in love. That is what Paul teaches in verses 14 through 16 negatively, with the word being absent, there is no stability. You become a susceptible people to erroneous doctrine, to false teaching. But with the word, you grow up, as Paul has told us, in love. You grow in love for one another. You grow in love for Christ himself. God establishes a community of love. So I want to look at those 
two halves of the equation, the negative, without the word there is no stability, followed by the positive, that with it we grow up in love, beginning in verse 14, without the word there is no stability, Paul says, verse 14, so that. He's making connection there. He is putting his arms around the whole of the previous argument going back to verse 11. The plan that we looked at last week in 11, 12, and 13 is brought into view as Paul writes in verse 14, so that. Why does this plan exist? Why has God given ministers of the word to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so as to build up the church into the fullness of Christ. Why is that his plan? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Now the word there for children means exactly what you think it means and it brings into view not physical immaturity, but the idea of spiritual immaturity, perhaps with a particular emphasis on an improper perspective. To be a child is to lack a proper, mature perspective of the world around you. Children will often respond to a certain situation inappropriately or out of proportion with the significance of what's going on. And that's understandable because they lack a mature adult perspective. A childish church member lacks proper perspective. They don't respond well necessarily to changes around them. They don't respond as God desires them to respond to certain situations played out within the local church. A childish church member will not readily deny themselves for the benefit of others. A childish church member won't serve the body. Won't serve when asked, will only do things out of preference, or if there's some benefit to themselves, they haven't grown up into maturity. As Paul uses this word children, he also brings into view the idea that a child is vulnerable. Not only does a child lack proper perspective, but a child is vulnerable. They need to be protected. The proper place for the child is in the home where they have the security of their family. Because a child can easily be led astray or influenced. A childish church member also is easily led astray, is easily influenced by false teaching. A childish church member doesn't know exactly what to believe on certain topics, and as they hear erroneous teaching that seems palatable, they may well drink it in and take it on board and make it their own because they are vulnerable. And so by inference, what Paul is teaching here is that the ministry of the word prevents a childlike church. What the ministry of the word do, does is it prompts the members of the church to grow up in Christ. 
It prevents each member lacking perspective and it prevents this vulnerability that is associated with children. What the ministry of the word does in any local church is it provides security, safety, by causing this maturing in its members. I think often about the verse that Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28, when he says that his responsibility is to present every man mature in Christ. Paul understood that as his responsibility to the Christians there in Colossae, my role, my responsibility is to present you mature in Christ. And as we receive that letter, the inspired word of God, we understand it is also our responsibility as elders in this church to present the members as mature in Christ. We take that very seriously. Our role is to cause you to grow. By God's grace, not in our own strength, not by our own efforts. We can't make it happen. It has to be a work of God. But the only means by which you will be presented mature in Christ is through a steadfast and faithful ministry of the Word. It won't come about through programs. It won't come about through social activities. As wonderful as these things are, it is the ministry of the Word that causes Christians to grow into maturity. It is entirely possible that you walk with Christ for 20 years, at the end of which you're still a child. It is entirely possible for you to be a Christian some 30, 40 years and you are still immature, lacking proper perspective and vulnerable. And that is not okay. As we thought about this morning, Christ died on the cross for your holiness. He made a payment for your sin. His righteousness was imputed to you. And then he calls you into a process of sanctification. His design is that you would keep moving forward in holiness, in Christ-likeness. Or, to put it another way, his design as he died on the cross is that you would spend your entire earthly Christian life growing up in him. That you would not be content to stagnate. You would not be content to remain a child. But that you would be found mature in the work of the Word. Now as Paul lays this out with that one picture, so that we may no longer be children, he then makes plain the danger the real imminent danger of remaining as a child, as he says, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. To remain as a child means you are susceptible. Susceptible to what? To being thrown around by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
which is human cunning, which is the craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see how Paul changes the word picture from that of a child to that of a small sailing vessel on the ocean. In Paul's day, seafaring was not as certain an endeavor as it is today. It would have been considered treacherous to go to sea in the winter months. You can read Acts 27 this evening. It's great bedtime reading. Luke narrates for us Paul's journey at sea, ending in a shipwreck. And Paul is pleading with the sailors at the very beginning of the chapter, we ought not to do this. Why? Because we don't have weather reports. We don't know what will come our way. And at this time of year, it is particularly treacherous for us to go to sea. And they probably would not have even had that small of a vessel. The picture inferred here is a tiny sailing boat cast out on the ocean, entirely susceptible Unable to stop the throwing around of the waves and of the wind, which is human cunning. That would not have been lost on Paul's original readers. And so you see, Paul considers false doctrine to be a real threat to their Christian walk. Paul considers false teaching to be a real threat to their spiritual health. In fact, if you trace the storyline of this church in Scripture, we see just how real that threat was. The narrative, as it were, that concerns the church in Ephesus begins all the way back in Acts. Cast your mind back to January of this year when we began our study in Ephesians and the very first message was taken from the book of Acts. When we see Paul's ministry there, and there was such a response to the word, the Artemis cult and the temple sits just outside their upper room where they meet daily, and Paul keeps giving them sound doctrine. In Acts 20, there's a tearful goodbye, and then he has to move on. The Holy Spirit is prompting him to move forward, and a few years later, he writes this letter to them. Most likely a synopsis of the teaching he had given them in Acts, representative of the doctrine he had already given to them, and he wants for them to carry on in the truth. There's no indication in Ephesians that there is a problem in the church. It's a very positive letter. Paul is just exhorting them to keep living by these doctrines. But then you fast forward to the pastorals. First and second Timothy. And now Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy is overseeing this congregation, and in Second Timothy, especially, Paul is concerned about the threat of false teachers. In exact accordance with his prophecy given in Acts 20. When I leave, there will be wolves that rise up from within and attack you from without. That's what he says in Acts 20, and sure enough. You move to 2 Timothy, and now Paul is writing to Timothy about guarding, protecting the sheep. How? Preach the word. How do you guard them from the false doctrines that want to take their souls? You preach 
the word. And then you move forward to Revelation. And the Lord Jesus himself speaks to the church in Ephesus and he says you have lost your first love. And perhaps we don't know fully what had prompted them to receive this rebuke, but quite possibly it was their exposure to false doctrine. And so the threat for the church in Ephesus is real. And Paul says, you can't be children because if you are, you are susceptible to false doctrine, to craftiness by deceitful schemes. There is even an indication within the way Paul phrases this that the craftiness of men is designed to lure them in and cause them then to be propagators of that false doctrine. And Paul doesn't want this for them. He wants for them to be strong in the truth. He says you can't be children and thus you need the ministry of the word. If you're not to be so susceptible. Now I do think for us as we look at the New Testament epistles and see, particularly as the canon progresses, there is this increasing theme of false teachers. I do think it is something that we ought to take seriously. We are not immune to such realities in our church. May God protect us always from false doctrine. We're very careful at Bethany about our membership process. We're very careful. We want for you to come. We want for you to be amongst us for some time. Because it is our responsibility to get to know who you are before we bring you into the membership of this church. And as you come into membership, we ask, do you have a credible testimony of salvation? And are you willing to submit to the leadership of this church? In essence, that's it, I mean, the conversation will encompass many more things, but we want to know, number one, are you saved? And number two, do you come with a submissive spirit ready to follow the leadership of our church? And it is so vitally important because if that is not in place, there will be all manner of problems down the road. We're very careful with the membership process, not least because we take seriously the New Testament warnings against division and false teaching in the church. And then it may be as you exercise your membership in the church in due course, perhaps you're afforded a responsibility of teaching in one of our many ministries. Women's ministry, men's ministry, children's ministry, equipping our home groups, many different outlets within which the ministry of the word goes out. But understand there is no one at Bethany who will ever teach God's word unless we are absolutely confident of the doctrines they believe. We guard those positions so carefully because we care for the health of the church. I do think the reality of false teachers should be noted. We must never think we're immune to such things. At the same time, 
I would say perhaps the danger that threatens us, perhaps more so than in Paul's day, is erroneous doctrine from outside of the church. Paul was particularly concerned that Timothy would guard the sheep from false teachers from within. We find ourselves at a time when there are so many voices outside of the church. So many voices that speak so much error that are able in so many different ways to get your ear and to speak that which is not true, which defames Christ, which is a slur to his gospel, and it is so easy to so subtly take it in. And in so much as there may be elements of truth in the message, we then embrace the whole message, and before long, you have ascribed to false teaching. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to withdraw from the culture entirely, absolutely not. God anticipates that we would be in the world as heralds of the gospel. He anticipates that after each Sunday when we gather together, we would then go out and champion the cause of Christ to a lost and needy world, understanding the dangers of being there. Nevertheless, God anticipates that we would go out into the world. I am not advocating that we withdraw but that we assume our post in the world always under the steadfast ministry of the Word. It is when we withdraw from the ministry of the Word that we become so susceptible to false teaching. I think often about Colossians 1.28. I think often about Hebrews 13 verse 17. There, the writer to the Hebrews exhorts the congregation to submit to their leadership because they, the leadership, the overseers, must give an account for your soul. This is a terrible responsibility to think upon. That the elders of this church will one day give an account for the members of this church, we take it very seriously. One of the standing items on the agenda at our elders meeting, every single time we meet, one thing that the elders will always do is work through a portion of our member list. We go through the names one by one, and we work through every member, and we just keep cycling through. And the intention is, as best as we're able, to get a feel for the spiritual pulse of our members. Where is this person at? Are they doing well in the Lord? Has anyone seen them recently? Tell me about their soul. And occasionally... As a name is called out, no elder is able to speak to this person's walk with the Lord because they have not been seen for some time. And that is perhaps my greatest cause for concern. When a name is read and 
we look at each other and say, I haven't seen them. Whatever is going on in their life, for one reason or another, the fact that they have not been here on the Lord's Day recently indicates that they are stepping away from, above all other things, the ministry of the Word. Something has prompted them to step away from the ministry of the Word, and there is no more dangerous place to be. You do not want to be there. Whatever is going on in your life and whatever burdens you are bearing, be under the ministry of the Word. It is the safest place for your soul to step away from the ministry of the Word makes you susceptible. And we want for you to flourish in the Lord. This morning we read as our scripture reading Deuteronomy chapter 6. I love that chapter of scripture. It is saturated in commandments to keep the words of the Lord in your life. It says in a dozen different ways, rehearse the word of God. As you go out and as you come in, as you rise up and as you lie down, teach it to your children, put it on your eyelets, put it on the frame of your door. Whatever you do, get under the Word. And it is so appropriate a reminder to us as we look at these words in Ephesians and the real danger that comes from separating yourself from a ministry of the Word that we must continually Get under God's word for our good. That's the negative side of the equation. Without the word, there is no stability. But with the word, we will grow up in love. Paul goes on in verse 15, rather, there's the contrast. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So still flowing out of the argument introduced all the way back in verse 11, still as a derivative or implication from that argument, the ministry of the word equips the saints to do the work of the ministry to grow the church. From there, Paul says in verse 15, rather we are to grow up, we're to follow the plan, we're to keep going back to the ministry of the word. Interestingly, notice in verse 15, Paul states, speaking the truth in love. The word there could more literally be translated being truthful in love, presenting yourself truthfully in love. It has this whole life connotation to it. But in the various contexts in which it is used, it is normally 
with reference to our words. And so the ESV translates it, speaking the truth in love. What is so interesting about that phrase is that Paul seems to have broadened that ministry to every member. Back in verse 11, he said there are some that receive a gift of ministering the word. The teachers, the pastors, the evangelists, their gift that Christ has given is one to minister the word. The saints receive it as a way of activating their gift. Here in verse 15, when Paul says we, the church, are to grow up in every way, It is preceded by a speaking the truth in love. It seems to be Paul has broadened the responsibility beyond simply the teachers. And I think that is true. That is right. Last week, you may remember, as we thought about the ministry of the word from the elders of the church, I encouraged you to consider how you might have that kind of ministry amongst one another. You don't have to have a particular gift for explaining the word to be able to be a minister of the word. You don't have to have that particular gift to be able to speak the truth to a brother or sister in Christ. My encouragement to you last week was to grab hold of a verse each morning, read your Bible, respond to the Lord in prayer, and grab hold of something that you've read. And take it with you into the world. And where there is opportunity, share that truth to anyone who will listen. Similarly, as you come to church on a Sunday morning, come with truth in your hand. Be ready to speak it to one another. You become ministers of the word. And that very encouragement that I gave you seems to be what Paul has in mind here in verse 15. Still affirming the particular role of teachers within the church. There is a role for all of us to play in speaking the truth to one another. Think about how you use your words in the church. You can have an enormous ministry of encouragement to brothers and sisters in Christ by simply speaking the truths of the gospel. You do it not in a manner that is burdensome. You don't do it because you ought to, though you don't really want to. You do it in love. Every church should be a community of blood-washed sinners who speak the truth to one another out of a deep-seated affection for one another. We love each other so much. We care for one another's soul so much. And we understand one of the very best things I can do for you is simply to impart to you the truth. Even if you know it, it may not be something new to you, but I am reminding you. You've heard it a thousand times, but let me tell you again, Christ has paid for your sins. 
You know these truths and you sing them every week, but can I share with you the glory of the fact that you are a son of the living God? You know these realities, but I saw them afresh this morning in God's word, and I just want to tell you, you have a glorious hope in heaven. You see how easy it is to be a minister of the word to encourage one another with this ministry of speaking the truth in love. And as we do so, we grow up. There is a growing up of the church. It doesn't happen overnight. The language here is intentional. Having spoken about being children, as Paul then goes on to speak about growing up, it takes Time, it takes faithfulness. But God has set forth the roadmap within His Word, the means by which we grow into the fullness of Christ is through the ministry of the Word. From the pulpit, within studies, within various ministries, and between the saints. And when we do that, as we thought about last week, there is this activating of all the other gifts. You see in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined, held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. It's no accident that you're here. This is where God has decided that you would worship. It's no accident that you're part of this church. It's no accident that God has gifted you in the way that he has to the measure that he has. And his will, his desire is that everyone would be working properly within the body. When we all work properly as we ought, then the body grows. And it grows up in love. So last week, I asked the question, what is a healthy church? And the answer from verses 11 through 13 is that a healthy church is a community of blood-washed sinners who are centered around the ministry of the Word. As they get under that ministry, they then respond and start to use their gifts. That is a healthy church. This week, in verses 14 through 16, we can augment that picture. What is a healthy church? It is a community of blood-washed sinners centered around the ministry of the Word, not straying from it because they understand that the safest place for them to be is in the church under the Word. And so they are strong in the truth. They are speaking to one another the truth. And they are using their gifts. As Christ has gifted you, so you then use that gift. And in all of these things, the motivation is love. Love for Christ and love for one another. As I think upon what Ephesians 4 teaches us here, I just marvel at the work God is doing in this church. 
Someone said to me the other week, to come to Bethany is like coming into a church that has the energy of a new plant, but the maturity of an established church. And I think that's an accurate portrayal of what God is doing in these days in the life of our church. There is such excitement here. So much readiness to get under the word. Such responsiveness to the teaching of God's word. Such a desire to serve. I really think I have one of, if not the easiest jobs in the church. Certainly the most privileged. To open God's word, to explain what it says, and then to see God's people respond. May we always be centered around the ministry of the word. May we speak the truth to one another in love. And may we use the gifts that Christ has given us so that we grow up into the fullness of him as we wait for his return. Let's pray now to close. Father, we praise you for your plan. A sinless life lived by your son. A sinner's death, he died. To make a payment for sin. To give gifts to your children. I want to praise you this evening for the plan of the church. For how you've designed the church to function. We would never have come up with such a plan and yet we marvel at it that the word would be the central pillar. It's always the word that does the work. That the saints can participate in that ministry by speaking truth to one another. That we then in turn use the various gifts that we have been given in different measure, that the body would function properly. And then we see it grow. We see it grow into the fullness of Christ. I praise you for this church. I praise you for every member, every gift given. for soft, willing, humble hearts on a Sunday morning and Sunday evening. For soft, willing, humble hearts throughout the week. I praise you for everyone in this church who has a ministry of teaching. Sunday mornings in equipping hour, in the various home groups, in the Bible studies, it's all of you. 
And it's through those ministries that you are causing the saints to do the work of the ministry. Father, we are so encouraged by this season in our church. Our prayer is that we would always be close to the word. Forbid that we would stray from the ministry of the word. Forbid that we would go about much ministry activity, but that the word would not be central. Father, may we always be found submitting to the word. Rendering us a steadfast humility. Rendering this local church a steadfast desire to submit and obey to your word. I pray that the saints would always be responsive, ready to serve in accordance with the gifts you've given. Ready also to speak to one another the truth. And as you work out in us faithfulness to that simple yet profound plan, we anticipate seeing the glorious work of growth as we continue to attain to the fullness of Christ as we wait patiently for his return. In Jesus' name, amen.